This is Healthcare Strategies. This podcast was recorded remotely due to the coronavirus pandemic. As a result, the quality may be a little lower than our usual standards. We appreciate your patience as we practice social distancing. From all of us at Intelligent Healthcare Media, stay healthy, stay safe, and enjoy the latest episode of Healthcare Strategies. Hello, and welcome to Healthcare Strategies. I'm Kelsey Waddell, Editor of Healthpayer Intelligence. Today we have with us Dr. Kedar Mate, President and Chief Executive Officer at the Institute of Healthcare Improvement, or IHI, President of the IHI Lucian Leap Institute, and a member of the faculty at Weill Cornell Medical College. Kedar has previously worked at organizations such as Partners in Health, the World Health Organization, and Brigham and Women's Hospital. He received his medical degree from Harvard Medical School. We are also joined by Dr. Mark Friedberg, Senior Vice President of Performance Measurement and Improvement at Blue Cross Blue Shield of Massachusetts, or BCBSMA. Prior to this role at BCBSMA, Mark worked as a health services researcher for over 10 years at the RAND Corporation. He is also a part-time primary care physician at Brigham and Women's Hospital and is an assistant professor of medicine at Harvard Medical School, where he too received his medical degree. We are here to discuss racial equity and the elimination of racial disparities in the healthcare industry. Across the U.S., between 2010 and 2018, individuals in the Black community were 1.5 times more likely to be uninsured than those in the white community, and Hispanic individuals were 2.5 times more likely to be uninsured than their white counterparts, according to Kaiser Family Foundation. Moreover, differences in maternal mortality rates, infant mortality rates, food insecurity prevalence, access to mental health resources, and many other clinical and social determinants of health data points reveal deep disparities in minorities' experiences of healthcare in the U.S. The payer industry exists at the intersection of multiple areas of racial disparities with a lot of potential to make a positive impact in these areas. The question is, what will payers do about it? Mark and Kedar, thank you so much for joining us today. Great pleasure to be with you. Thanks for having me. Um, so, Mark, I'm going to direct this first question to you. This is an important conversation. I, I think there's there's no use beating around the bush. So my first question is, historically, how has the payer industry contributed to racially based inequities that lead to healthcare disparities? Sure. Um, yeah, very good question. I'll first start by talking about the commercial payer industry and Blue Cross Blue Shield of Massachusetts is primarily a commercial insurer, although we do have some Medicare business as well. The main thing I would say to, in answer to uh, how the commercial payer industry has contributed to racial inequities in care is that it, it hasn't been as high a priority historically to address racial and ethnic inequities in care and health outcomes as it should be. And this is reflected you know, throughout the industry. And I would say it's not unique to payers either. This is something that goes on throughout the government sector, as well as through the provider sector, um, all of whom you know, are heavy participants in American healthcare. Um, so I'll give you some examples. First, when we look at the ratings of health plans, whether that's on commercial, let's say National uh, Committee for Quality Assurance ratings or NCQA ratings, or in the Medicare Advantage star ratings that CMS puts out, the Medicare program puts out for health plans in the Medicare Advantage program, not one of those measures currently is actually a measure of the equity of care received by uh, the members of any given health plan. Um, 
I think that's going to change in the next few years, but that just gives you a sense of where the industry is right now. And for that reason, because there hasn't been any active anti-racism in the industry in general, the, the kind of um, racial inequities we have at every level of our society, which have a deep historical root and have many ongoing structural and systemic contributors, continue to play themselves out in healthcare just as they do in education, wealth, safety, environmental inequities, uh, you name it, it's there. So I think this is mainly an issue of neglect more than an issue of sort of active, you know, intentional participation. You know, Mark, I, if I could just add this uh, kid or again, I, I, I think there's also a dimension here that helps to reinforce or fundamentally create more inequity, which is that the pay schedules for commercial and even Medicare obviously are often better than Medicaid pay schedules. And that leads to Medicaid being considered an undesirable insurance. And of course, if you look at the composition of who is covered under Medicaid at the moment or covered by Medicaid, uh, there are significantly greater people of color in that group. And that leads to worse access and worse treatment. So you get more racially based inequities in part because of the structure of how our payment system works between the three major payers uh, overall. I agree with your point about the fact that we have no measures on equity right now, or at least no measures of equity that are factored into the, the ways in which we are paid actively. And that will lead to the system that we presently have. And then the last comment I make at the individual level, the co-pays that we have and specifically the growth of high deductible plans might actually dissuade folks from accessing needed care, especially primary care, that might in fact contribute further to racially based inequities that we're experiencing and, and witnessing at this moment. Definitely, both of you kind of address the sort of multifaceted way in which racial disparities are reflected in the payer industry, because obviously we have the commercial side of things, the public payer side of things. And for this conversation, I really, I'd like to try to kind of cover as much as we can of both of those. So thank you so much for kicking us off with that. Um, so thankfully, it seems like payers want to take action on this or try to take action on this. And in recent months, I've seen that kind of come through in a lot of announcements about payers putting more funds toward racial equity programs through things like grants and partnerships with other organizations. Um, but I was curious what both of you think about that approach. Does funding really help reduce the healthcare system's racial disparities? Is that the primary method that we should be pursuing? Or is there something more there that needs to happen? For me, the answer is it depends. So it's possible that funding you know, external organizations, many of whom do you know, fantastic work uh, to address inequities in, in healthcare and other social factors that contribute to health outcomes outside the healthcare system. So sometimes funding those programs is you know, a very good use of resources. These organizations oftentimes are underfunded, and that's where you can really make a difference for you know, health plan members and for the communities they come from, whether or not it's actually your members who are necessarily getting the inclusive benefits. We are a nonprofit payer, so uh, we have a community obligation uh, beyond just our membership. The reason I say it depends is that there is a danger in jumping straight to doing funding without some way of knowing whether that funding did anything on the flip side. So we're taking an approach um, at Blue Cross Blue Shield of Massachusetts where we want to make sure that we have measurement and evaluation in place as much as possible before jumping in with a particular intervention, whether that's doing something ourselves, doing something in partnership with our provider network, or doing something like you know, making a grant to the kind of organization you mentioned. If an organization can't tell you at the outset how their intervention is designed to work, you know, assuming everything goes according to plan, and what kind of outcomes are measurable at the end of that intervention and when they'll be measurable, um, that's a bit of a red flag. And it is worrisome that you might 
sink some money into that and, and really have no idea whether it worked. And, and you know, personally, I would rather have an intervention that we funded, whether that's, again, ourselves with a provider or with a uh, community organization where it didn't work and we knew it didn't work and we, and we learned something from it so that the next time around we can do something different or do something better than have us um, make a grant and really have no idea at the end of the day uh, whether that produced any benefits um, in terms of reducing inequities in health outcomes and health care. Um, there is a bit of a tension there. Um, sometimes it produces a lot of good PR uh, when you um, do a, a quick grant um, and you have something you can sort of say, we're doing something, we're creating the appearance of um, doing something about racial inequities in healthcare. That sometimes takes a little longer to take the approach we're taking to actually put the, the time and effort into um, deciding what the measures should be and how you're going to evaluate the effectiveness of any program in this space. You know, Kelsey, the, the concept of funding from a payer comes in a, a handful of different flavors. And I wonder if we could tease those apart of it, because I think they they vary in their relative effectiveness at tackling disparities in systemic injustice that's built into our structures and systems. So for a payer, there's payment strategy itself, which is, I think, the dominant form of opportunity, if you will, that payers possess that would potentially change the landscape around how racial disparities and inequity is achieved. Um, second is this idea, of, and which is what you directly asked about, which is grants and partnerships and what might be considered opportunities to strengthen community and other partners through a grant-making program. And then lastly, and sometimes less well thought of, are the infrastructural funds, uh, for lack of a better phrase, I'll call it infrastructural funds, which are opportunities by payers who represent often some of the biggest businesses and in a geography or in a, in a setting the opportunity for that business to invest in local businesses and suppliers that are black and minority owned that might also contribute to local reduction in disparity and economic opportunity in the community is a third vehicle or third way that payers can invest their assets and provide funding that is potentially pro-equity and, and anti-racist. So, And each of those can be considered in turn, but I would say that the Payment strategy, because that is part of the business of a payer, is, is probably the most leveraged and the most important of those three. Not that any of them are unimportant, but the opportunity to create a payment strategy that is, in fact, pro-equity. And I have to commend Mark and the BCBS Massachusetts organization for starting to put in place the foundations of what it might take to do that kind of strategic change and how payment will work going forward. It's not there yet, and no one is on some level, but we're starting to lay the groundwork for how payment might follow differently based on whether we're achieving certain goals for eliminating racial disparities in our, in our communities and in our um, systems. I think the other big one is the opportunity to invest locally. I'd love to see us get more deliberate and focused about how we do that. Because again, the opportunity for the payer as an anchor organization in its locality to play a big role uh, in how it invests in its local environments will be uh, really important uh, going forward. Yeah, I think that's a, a critical point. Um, this is absolutely on our long-term agenda. And I think you know, really payers should view this as a long-term thing, not something that you invest in for a while and then you know, the national attention shifts and, and you stop investing in it. That's unlikely to produce much in the way of lasting and durable um, improvements and in inequities. So with that in mind, we are going exactly where Cater suggested, which is um, to explicit financial incentives to providers to reduce um, their internal inequities in care on, on a wide variety of performance measures that we, we've used historically um, as part of our alternative quality contract, which is our ACO-like program for providers in which they are rewarded for controlling the cost of care and also for performing well on quality measures. 
Um, the quality measures historically, as I mentioned earlier, have just never had a direct measure of inequity within them. And uh, we did have an evaluation a couple of years ago by some folks at um, Harvard Medical School and Health Affairs with Zuri Song et al., showing that despite the fact that we didn't have it, uh, uh, specific inequity measures in that program, we did see some narrowing of uh, quality of care inequities over time, basically because a rising tide was lifting all boats and lifting the boats that um, were sort of, you know, represent the, the lowest performance and, and underserved populations rising by the most. So we, we did sort of, by happy accident, have a reduction in inequity in care even though the program historically has not included that as an explicit goal. Now it's an explicit goal. Um, I think we're going to get a lot more out of that than we have in the past, uh, but that's going to take a few years to get into place fully. I just want to point out that the incentive isn't enough. We found over many years that uh, the incentive for providers is basically an enabling condition. It's necessary, but not sufficient to drive performance improvement. Um, along with that, providers do need a lot of guidance and technical assistance in general on how to improve. And that's a place where I think we will be really wanting to work with organizations that have some experience and a successful track record in helping uh, providers and organizations like ours uh, improve on racial inequities in care. Thank you both for breaking that down and for giving some more uh, context and nuance to that. So aside from funding, what are some other tangible actions that payers can be taking to um, help rectify racial inequities in healthcare and healthcare coverage? You know, I want to just pick up also on Mark's last point uh, that he made, which I think is a, is a good crossover into this question, Kelsey, which is a good one about beyond funding, what else? Um, and Mark, you you said that incentives alone are not enough. And that uh, if I could translate it through, through my lens at IHI, you know, we think about the need for the capability to improve. And that comes in a variety of flavors, obviously, but giving providers and practitioners the ability to tackle inequities in their environments is not an automatic, you know, we just because we, we provide the incentives, we actually have to go beyond that to provide the needed knowledge and capabilities and, and, and technical support systems that will allow improvement to occur. And if I could just reflect on some work that we've been doing now with 30 plus health systems around trying to improve equity and, and reduce racial disparities in health outcomes around the country, it is redirecting some of the present effort to try to improve clinical and, and support processes so that the systems have the capability to make a change in their environments. I think other things that payers could do is asking or inviting health systems to share and display their data publicly or in some form so that uh, medical problems like diabetes control, hypertension, CHF, et cetera, it becomes more visible. We make the invisible challenge much more apparent and visible and also demonstrate the work that's being done on uh, in these areas. So I think we can do a lot more to build the capability to improve in addition to providing the, the relevant economic incentives to do that, as well as help with transparency, which is another big lever of uh, what will drive and support uh, organizations to make the kind of improvement that we're hoping for. Yeah, I, I think those are, those are fantastic points. And I'll just give an example of one thing uh, we're doing currently that is not through our provider contracts and actually not with providers that we have a ton of business with, um, but we just announced um, last Thursday, um, this, this is work we're doing directly to try to uh, improve the racial and ethnic equity of coronavirus vaccine uptake in greater Boston. So we um, made a $1 million contribution uh, to um, the Massachusetts League of Community Health Centers, um, and, and we're partnering um, with, with many community health centers, including East Boston Neighborhood Health Center, for example, to uh, enhance their capabilities to do outreach 
to the communities they serve and bring them in. And we're even paying for some of the transportation for the members of those communities, whether they're our members or not, to go to the community health centers to get their vaccinations. And we've seen in, in many states, Massachusetts is not unique in this regard at all, that the uptake has been you know, really inequitable. There's lots of reasons for that, but we can start to address at least some of these, which have to do with the locations of um, mass vaccination sites being relatively inaccessible to underserved communities. Thank you. And you brought up data, and I just want to kind of jump on that for just a second. Um, I was curious what role data, specifically payers collecting data, (laughs) plays in um, creating better equity in the healthcare system. Uh, I know, Kedar, you had mentioned that specifically earlier on. So would you like to comment on that? Yeah, well, I mean, the first thing I'd say is that it's incredible to me, um, and and perhaps not that surprising, but it's there's such an enormous challenge around the data right now. Knowing and understanding and being able to stratify our outcomes data based on race, ethnicity, and language is a, a very significant challenge uh, that we've observed both on the delivery system side and on the payer side. And I know that, Mark, you'll have comments on this from BCBS MA's approach to this uh, challenge, and uh, importantly. But we have to collect much more information on demographic identifiers from our beneficiaries um, and then use that information to help stratify the data in a meaningful way and provide that feedback back to our providers so that they can see that information and start to plan improvements around what they're getting back. Unless we have that information available, we we simply won't know whether or not the disparities are present in our populations, or we won't be able to take the kind of appropriate action. I do think that this is perhaps one of the biggest motivators for providers. I'll speak about my own experience as a clinician in the hospital. When we stratified our data and started looking at various outcomes around readmissions or how we manage pain in the inpatient care setting, that not any economic incentive, but that knowledge that we were providing care differentially at the individual or group practice level was incredibly motivating to catalyze action and start to motivate change. So data is a linchpin or a key factor here. And uh, again, I think that we have to collect it, we have to stratify it, we have to provide it back to our providers so that they can start to take action around the data. Yeah, I think that's a really important point. And this might surprise many people, but health plans generally don't have complete or accurate data on the races and ethnicities of their members at all. You can get it from vendors, you can try to impute it um, or estimate it using statistical techniques uh, based on where somebody lives and their surname. All of those methods are of pretty limited accuracy, uh, we've found. And if you don't have reasonably accurate data, you're just going to, by the math, systematically underestimate the degree of the true inequities that are present, unfortunately. As soon as you see the inequities, and I think Kedar is exactly on point here, um, it's highly motivating. One of the main reasons you know, I've learned in just doing some reading on this and talking to some experts for the persistence of racial and ethnic inequities in care, despite the, the fact that most providers and health plan workers and leaders really want to do something about this, they're already motivated, is that they just don't have the data. They don't know where they stand. Um, and once it becomes public knowledge, you know, that can be public, you know, truly in public or public within an organization so that there's accountability, the motivation is very powerful to do something about it. And also, once you have that baseline measurement, of the degree of inequity, you can start to have accountability. And that's where I was saying earlier about why you wanna have an evaluation plan in place before you make a major investment, um, because that's a way of building accountability for that spend. Yeah, 
Well, um, thank you both so much for your thoughts on this. I mean, there's so much that could be said on this subject, obviously, and I'm sure this conversation could go for so much longer, but hopefully this is a good actionable spark for our listeners. Um, and I just want to thank you both for coming on and for your efforts to reduce healthcare disparities through your organizations. Thank you. Pleasure to be here. Thank you. And for our listeners, we'd love to hear your thoughts about this episode. Feel free to reach out to us at podcasts at extelligentmedia.com to share your thoughts. You can also use that email address to let us know if there are any healthcare industry-related questions or stories you would like us to consider covering on this podcast. And if you liked this episode and it sparked some thoughts for you, please head over to Apple Podcasts and give us a few stars and a positive review. Thanks for listening. This has been an Extelligent Healthcare Media production. 